Good morning. It's great to be with you. Scott, thanks for you and your team leading us in worship. What a treat that's been for me um, to be here with you. Greetings from Westgate Church and the community of people that are family that you just don't know us yet, but you're going to have all eternity to get to know us. So don't worry, you'll get used to us. Um, it is, it is great, uh, really great to be here with you. It's quite a statement, actually, of unity and community that your elders would invite me here, and I'm honored. I'm honored with the task and honored to be a part of it. I've been kind of drawn... Well, Roger, how are you, you rascal? Um, uh, you want to take over? They'd much rather hear you, I, I assure you. Anyway, um, I've been brought in on the, in kind of in on the discussion with some folks, and um, I now pray for you every Sunday. Every Sunday I pray for you. I, I, as I'm driving, I live in Morgan Hill, and I come up 101 and down 85, and I, I, I pray geographically as I pass the exits. So um, you're on one of my exits. And um, so it's an honor to be um, to do that. And, then, and my staff um, thought I needed some kind of bribe, you know, so you'd like me. So they sent me with these. These cards are out in your foyer, and they're about a conference that's coming to, um, coming to San Jose here about the Muslim faith and how to interact with folks who have faith in Islam and how to love your Muslim neighbor. And here's the deal. Now, I need, this is a pledge for secrecy here, but the, the, uh, our missions department has set it up where the first hundred people that sign up for this conference from Central get to come for free. Now, don't tell. Okay, don't tell because um, Westgate's got to pay. So um, I don't want to get in trouble. So your code, if you, go to, if you go to a range and get on, it's, your code word is in the promo is central. You should be able to remember that. And uh, if you can't, then don't come. You're not, you know. You just... Anyway, um, but it is great to be with you all. Let me pray for us and uh, we'll jump in. We're going to be in John 13, page 763, I think, in the Bibles. I looked it up, and, but I'm not good with numbers, so maybe somewhere around there. God, thanks for the privilege of being able to, to gather. Thank you for community and the unity that exists between your people. Thank you for the honor of opening your word and the freedom that we enjoy to be able to do that. We don't take that lightly. And so, God, we ask that as we do that, that you would, your Holy Spirit would come and empower us not to just know more, not to be smarter sinners, but to actually be transformed from the inside out, that you might change us to look more like Jesus. And, God, we're mindful. It's, been a, it's another terrible week for the people down in Florida, the pain and the heartache of the loss of children and the tragedy there. God, we ask that you would show up in ways that really does bring comfort to those that have lost loved ones. You would empower your church in that area to speak words of hope, that they would boldly love, step into the tragedy. We just commit that area to your care. Now, use this time for our good and your glory, please. In Jesus' name, amen. It all started when a man named Reed Hastings had a late um, fee for a Blockbuster DVD that he had rented. And he took it into Blockbuster and um, turned it in, and he owed $40 of late fees. And his reaction to this was, this is just wrong. I could have bought this DVD several times over. There's got to be a better way to do this. And so he did. In 1997, he started a company called Netflix. Netflix. 
And we know it started in, in uh, Scotts Valley and it quickly moved over into to the area right there on the edge of Los Gatos. And he began this company that started this wonderful business project where it said, if you'll just give me a monthly fee, I'll send you a DVD or two or three, depending on which level of sign up you do. And you can take your time and whenever you mail them back, we'll send you some more that are whatever's involved in your queue. And some of you remember um, being involved in that process. And then for the next several years, it grew and did, did fantastic. Finally, they went national and international and ended up in like 190 different countries. But something began to happen. A transition was going on, and they had to pay attention because DVDs are now almost like eight tracks. Bless you. I mean, you, you, I don't, my last two laptops that I've had didn't even have DVD players in them. You, you, most of you probably, unless you're hanging on to something that you don't really need, um, you don't even have a DVD player. So there was a transition that happened to ha- had to happen in Netflix if they were going to stay relevant in what was going on in the community. Of course, what happened was, 10 years after their founding, they began um, to video stream. And they did this process of video streaming. And they also began in 2013 to produce their own material. And they started with this series called House of Cards. There's been some other ones as well, um, Breaking Bad and Stranger Things. And I'm not endorsing any of those series. I'm just saying that in, night, in 2017, they, Netflix alone produced 126 new films or series. I mean, they're full on into this to where now in January, this past month, when they were reporting how many subscribers they have. They have just about almost 120 million subscribers, monthly subscribers to the Netflix product. Now, why? Why am I talking about all this? Not because I'm endorsing Netflix or anything else. Well, all I'm trying to raise your attention to is there's quite a bit of change that has happened in the 20 years or so that that company has, has been around. They had to navigate several transitions, and if they didn't navigate those transitions, they were done. Like Blockbuster's done. Seen one of those lately? Yeah. Now, what I want to assure you is, is that you also, as a community of people, have been through a number of different transitions. And I, if I'd have known Roger was here, he could take you through this, but I'll, I'll do my very best. I jumped on the internet and started studying y'all and seeing what's going on. Here's a picture of your very first elders. Um, I know it's too small to see. I, I don't even know if that's the first elders, but it was listed on there as one of your first group of elders. Um, groundbreaking here at this site in Meri- on the Meridian site in 1963. Here's Bryce Jessup and Don Hinkle standing. I think I'm standing exactly where they are. I think this is actually, this platform is represented by the cut that is there and the, the, um, the community got involved in all of this and they began to write their favorite Bible verses. I don't know if any of y'all were involved with this, but write your Bible verses on the two by fours and, and the original sanctuary started to go up and it sat for over 400 people. And um, some people that were involved with that, Bill and Carrie Jessup, and of course, Bryce and Joe Jessup after them, and then Roger and his wife, uh, Ricky, were a part of it. I, I thought you were here like 30 years. I mean, I, it seemed like you were here forever, um, but that's just because you look so young. And, um, and then, of course, then uh, Glenn and Kathleen Norman, and, and they're coming and going. And what I wanna underst- want you to understand is, is that you have survived and weathered and worked your way through several transitions. But transitions are tricky things. They're tricky because 
on the one hand, um, you're vulnerable. It's a, it's, a, it's a time of unease. It's an unsettling of change. And there's no change without loss, and there's no loss without pain. But it's also an interesting time because your eyes open up to new possibilities. That change means that new opportunities are also there. And so navigating the transitions that you're in is quite tricky. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this. In fact, in the Gospel of John, he spends four chapters trying to get his men and women ready for a giant transition. John is is unique as a gospel. The other three gospels kind of follow the same pattern of laying themselves out. Some have come from different perspectives, but they're basically the same. And they're called the synoptics, the synoptic gospels. But John stands alone in that it's very unique. And it's it really only has seven miracles in it that it, it, it builds the case of the reality of God of Jesus being God's son. There's seven I am statements where Jesus actually makes claims to be deity and, and, and it works its way through. But then chapter 13, everything slows down. It's like John the writer slams on the brake where the other uh, gospel writers just kind of cruise right through the whole Passion Week and zip right to the resurrection. John slows it down for us in this time of transition. And Jesus basically says in John 13, stuff's about to get crazy. The rug is about to be pulled out from under your feet. And if you don't get ready and you don't know how to put where to keep your focus, this place could this could be a vulnerable time for you. But if you could keep your focus and actually John 14, keep your hope and then John 15, keep your intimacy with me and John 16 and 17, keep your unity and your security with me. Actually, things can really work out. Really well. In fact, Jesus makes this crazy statement during this time. It's better that I leave. Could it possibly be better for you? Well, if you want to turn there, John 13. Let's take a look at it. There is one thing about um, transitions. I've got a quote from Erwin McManus, and this, this quote says this, The way not to be overwhelmed by the radical changes and the speed of our world is to know where you're going, to know why you're going there, and to do it with urgency. Know where you're going, why you're going there, and to do it with urgency. And Jesus is about to play out for us and explain how he was able to go straight to the cross with such urgency because he knew why he was doing what he was doing, where he was going, and he did it with urgency. Let me show you. John 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Now, that's a great time marker for us in John's gospel. It's about 15 hours before Jesus is arrested and killed. So he's right at the very end of his life. And notice the phrase what, about what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of this love. First, you need to know your purpose. Jesus had a really good understanding of why he was there and what it was about. You need to, in a time of transition, be real clear about why you're here. 
Let me give you some scriptures to kind of talk about purpose for you. Colossians 1 says this, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 says, It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and in everyone. That it's very important for you to understand what your purpose is and why you're here. That Jesus has not just left you here so you can endure this life and then eventually end up in heaven. That eternal life begins now, men and women. It begins now. And the process of becoming like Christ and then reflecting that coming like Christ to the people around you is why you are still here. Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are God's masterpiece. Some uh, versions say that um, we are his workmanship or we are his poem. We actually get our word poem from this word masterpiece. It's poema in Greek. And it means that when God puts you together, he labored over every single syllable of your existence. Everything about you gives you purpose. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. And he's actually not only created you for good things, but he goes out ahead of you and prepares those things and helps you do them. So you are planned for God's pleasure. You are formed to be part of his family. You were created to be like his son. You were designed for serving God. And you were made for a mission. There's nothing accidental about what's going on in this community. There's nothing accidental about what's going on in your life. Let me show you this map about your location here. You drive up to this address possibly so often that you've forgotten how central you are. I mean, look at that dot on the map. How do you think you got there? Let me tell you how you did it. Wasn't a bunch of smart people in 1963 that said, eventually all these orchards, this is going to be the center of the place. It wasn't that. It was the hand of God strategically and purposely placing you as a community right at this place. The rest of us know what you don't. And that is just how central you are. And how critical you are to the health of the body of Christ In our county. Don't lose sight of this. Don't lose sight of the great heritage that you have. The great distinctives that you bring. The great purpose and hope that is still in front of you. You know what people would give for this dirt? (laughs) Maybe it's good that you don't. It's amazing to me. And as one of the fellow communities out there, let me just tell you, we, we need you. We need you. You are critical to the gospel in our city. Know that purpose. Know and understand that purpose. You also need to know and understand the source of your authority. 
Because if you hear that first one, you could get all puffed up in yourself. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. I mean, truthfully, who are you to be entrusted with such a place as this? Who are you to be entrusted with such a, a great opportunity as this? Who are you to be put at, at just such a time as this in this city? Let me answer that for you. Here's who you are. Nobody. You're nobody. But the great thing about that is that the Bible seems to be full of opportunities where God uses nobodies. Just normal, everyday people. In fact, if you're here and you're thinking, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in the top 1%. I'm a, gen- I'm a genius. You probably are disqualified. You're probably too talented. God seems to use the ordinary folk of our lives to get extraordinary things done. The source of your authority is in Jesus Christ and what he has done. Your power is in that name. Your message is in his work. So I don't want you to get too fired up about the address that you have. Certainly it's important. But it's not as important as who you follow. And it never will be. You, know, you need to know the source of your authority. In this section of, of scriptures, Jesus is going to tell his guys several things. That make sure that if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments, John 14. If apart from me, you're not going to be able to do a single thing. Not a single thing, John 15, 5. In John 16, in this world, you're going to have all kinds of trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. We fall back on Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. The good news is the Lord is committed to building his house. He's committed to it. So you need to know your source of authority so that you'll stay humble in the midst of all the great opportunity. Next, you need to know your identity. It says that Jesus knew where he had come from. You need to know that God is your creator. You need to know that God has scheduled each day of your life that your identity is in him. So let me give you some things just to kind of think through. You are sons and daughters of the most high God. Galatians 4 says, because you are sons and daughters, God sent you the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a family member. You are a royal priesthood. A people that are set apart for God's own pleasure and his own purposes. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. That collectively together you represent so much more than you could ever imagine. You are totally forgiven, which you will need. 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that word all there in the Greek means all. There's nowhere you can go that's beyond the grace of God. And you'll need that with one another. And you are completely secure. Romans 8, beginning at verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth. And just to make sure in case he missed anything, he says, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. It's important that you know who you are and your identity. And when you put all of these things together, you realize that Jesus understood and knew his destiny. It's important for you to know your destiny because it says, and he was returning to God. Here's the deal. I know, I know that the battles that we wage in, day in and day out, week in and week out, sometimes are very discouraging and very tough. And that there's a lot that happens in this world that I can't make sense of. And it just makes me very discouraged sometimes. But here's the deal for sure. The battle is won. The war is decided. Jesus wins. I used to work with this guy and he would, he would always, he would, every, time, every day I saw him, he had this strange phrase. He'd say, how's the battle? I said, well, we're fighting, but I know who won. I just, I just, and every time I saw him, it helped remind me of what my destiny is. It's not dependent on me. It's not depending on you. It's not dependent on the next guy here or gal here, whatever that is going to be. It's dependent on Christ and his victory. And we can have great, great courage in this. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Long before he laid the earth's foundations, God had us in mind and settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his name. God wants to grow us up just like Jesus in all things and then bring us home. Now, Those are the kinds of things that Jesus knew that allowed him to do the rest of John 13. These are the kinds of things I think you might want to make sure you know as you work through this transition or any transition. Your your life is full of transitions. Going off to college. Getting your first job. Getting married. Having kids. Seeing them go to school. Seeing your kid get a driver's license, empty nesting, grandchildren, retirement, all of those giant transitions in your life need to be firmly anchored in who Jesus is and who you are because of who he is. But it's not enough just to know. It's never enough just to know. Watch, verse 4. So Jesus got up. You know, if it had been me, there's a good chance that I would have sat there and gone, you know what, guys, I got a lot coming up. Just a few hours. And my feet stink. Could you wash them, please? That's not what he does. Jesus got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The job that was for the lowest servant, not just any servant, but always the lowest servant. And if a home didn't have servants, it was always given to the youngest child. This is the lowest job that is ever involved in any meal. And Jesus gets up 
and puts on the towel. He serves. He serves. And in this, in this example, it actually says that he left us an example. I've left you an example. He never says that anywhere else. His life is full of examples for us to follow. But he never says he left one. Except right here in the service. And what is all true of you when you think about how, what you know and how do I move forward? How do I weather the transition? The transition is with this attitude of service. Now think about who he's... Whose feet he's washing here. He's got a, in this group, he's got Matthew the text collector and tax collector and Simon the zealot. And just in case you were wondering, they don't like each other. One is a sellout to the Roman government and the other is sure that all Roman government and every sellout should die. And Jesus in his wisdom has matched these two guys together in his team. He's also got this dude named Peter. And the guy named Judas is still there. He comes to Simon Peter, verse 6, and he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? In other words, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, you don't realize what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. And then Peter says this, no, no. You will never wash my feet. Jesus said, well, unless I wash you, uh, you have no part with me. And then in typical overreaction, Peter says, well, then just work your way on up. You know, just, just start at the feet and do the whole body. I mean, wash all of me then. If I'm in, I'm all in. Kind of. Jesus says, a person who has a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body's clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Imagine the look of compassion and understanding Jesus must have looked into Judas's eyes as he's washing his feet. This needs to be your attitude. You want to navigate transitions well? Take your eyes off of yourself and look up towards others. Focus on what's going on around you. And, and that's, not our t- that's not our natural kind of bent. What we normally do when things get a little crazy is we circle up and turn inwards. And we kind of say, oh, woe is me, and sing kumbaya. Those two things. Woe is me, kumbaya. And we lose sight of everything that's going on around us. And I would challenge you, if you want to navigate this transition well, lift up your eyes and ask, How's stuff going for others? Watch out for others. Not only others out there, others in here. Instead of coming and saying, wow, I hope I get something at church. What if you were to come and say, wow, I hope I can give something at church. But that's not all. In chapter 13 later on, when he gets to chapter verse 34, he says this. I want to give you something else too. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men and women will know that you are mine. 
that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. See, the motive behind the service must be love. If you're not growing in your love for other people, let me just... I'm going to come in and leave, and so you can get mad at me if you want. But if you... I mean, if you're not growing in your love for other people, especially people that are not like you, you're not, you're just doing religion. You're not doing Christianity. You're just doing religion. And Jesus didn't come to start another works-based religion. We had enough of those and he knew they wouldn't work. He came to start something brand new. That would be motive, the motive behind our actions would be love. So, what am I asking of you? Well, a couple of things. And this is what I'm asking really for you. I'm not really asking anything of you. But I'm asking these things for you when I pray for you. I'm asking that God would give you open hearts, that you would fellowship without jealousy. That you would be kind to one another. Compassionate. That you would be quick to speak the truth. But you would speak it in grace. And until you've got the grace. You'll hold back on the truth. I'm asking that God would give you eyes to see one another in fresh and deep ways. And that you would genuinely care for each other. The least of you. And that you would have open hearts to the neighborhood around you. You would just in your mind's eye say, well, from 17 to 87. And from 280 to 85. We're just going to love in Jesus' name those folks the best we can. I'm asking that God would give you open hands. That you would hold loosely the things that are most dear to you. Those things that are most important about why this place is home. You know, I took a chance sitting over there in that pew over there. It could have been someone's seat. You know what I mean. Y'all are sitting where you normally sit. But there are other things about this place that you like them. It's the way they've been. And there's a chance that in the future some things will change. Now I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm not talking about philosophy of ministry. I'm just talking about simple things like where you sit. That you would have open hands to hold those kinds of things loosely. I'm praying that you'll have open eyes. Eyes to see your neighbors in ways you've never seen them before. You drove by households full of people that don't know Jesus. 95% of our county doesn't know Christ. There's work to be done. We don't need to compete with each other. There's just so much work to be done. And I'm praying God will open your eyes to see the the harvest. 
and that you respond in kind and loving ways. That you would be willing to be others-centered in this transition. And finally, I'm praying that you'll have an open mind. I have no idea what the future holds for you. I can't even figure out my own place. I mean, we're neck deep in 2018 plans and staff issues and all kinds. I'm neck deep in it. So I'm not here as a prophet. I'm not here as someone who has inside information to get you ready for something. But I can guess that there's a chance that the things in front of you will be different than some of how you think now. And that you would have open minds. That you might even care less about some things and more about others. Like you might not care who gets the credit as long as God gets glory. You might not care about how big you are, but instead how obedient you are. I'm also asking for wisdom for your elders. You have some fine men. Now, I've only spent one night with them. So they could have fooled me. But I don't think so. I was deeply impressed at their openness to follow God's spirit. Their dependence upon God to make the right decisions. I believe you're in good hands. But will you have open hearts? Will you have open eyes, open mind, open hands for the things? John 13, the key verse is this. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, it's not really any advantage to you at all to know these things unless you commit to an obedience to what they mean for you. If you will, you will be blessed. And you will weather a transition, not just weather it, but grow through it. You'll be stronger on the other side because you've now begun to think in new and fresh ways. Open to things that God might do. And it's incredible what God can do with just a few folks if they're listening to him. It just doesn't take very many. It just doesn't. So I pray that you will follow God's promptings. That you will serve those around you. And it will be done out of a heart of love. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the tremendous example of Christ who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame that willingly carried the burden of sin of mankind to Calvary's cross paying a debt we could never pay on our own and then defeating death 
on the third day and rising from the dead that we might have eternal life. God, that is our message. That is our hope. That it's not based on on what we do, but on what has been done for us. That we can love others because we have been so dearly loved by you. God, I ask that for this people, for this community at this address, your will would be accomplished more fully than ever before. That there would be a softness, a willingness to obey your voice. And that not just in some, but in in everyone who is part of it, they will sense your presence. I pray for wisdom beyond what they have now. Patience and endurance. And a love for one another and for you. That will set them apart. Most of all, I ask God that because of their community in their life, Jesus would become famous in this city. That all might know of his great love. May it be so, God. Not because we deserve it or that we're anything special. But because you are. I commit them to you. In the matchless name of Christ. Amen.